Blog Talk Radio. looking for real truth real talk radio make sure you log on to kirpradioshow.com sunday nights live 8 p.m with your host rocco pisertia rocco p it's the last sunday night of the month i'm your host host tonight on the krp radio show i want to thank pudgy miller for this opportunity to come in to use his platform once a month last sunday night every month if anyone would like to call in, that call-in number is 619-638-8559, 619-638-8559. Tonight, I want to talk about that Confederate flag controversy. But it's not just the Confederate flag, which is why I want to talk about it. We know what happened, uh, what set this off, the event. Dylan Roof, yet again, a allegedly lone white gunman, killed nine people. 
say he allegedly killed him. He hasn't hasn't got his day in court yet. In the church on Wednesday Wednesday night at a prayer meeting. That was Wednesday, June seventeenth of this year. It was in Charleston, South Carolina. There's a lot of weird and bizarre things could be said as far as Dylan Roof and events surrounding it, what had happened. If you did not see the video with his arrest by the police, definitely check that out. Again, I'll uh, I'll tease you about that. I don't want to talk about it because I got I want to talk about the philosophy as far as what's gone on after how this tragic event is being used. But many many strange things surround this event, what happened, who he was, and uh, again his his apprehension. Extremely strange when police approach, uh, go up to his car, and uh, it's very nonchalant. One officer took his gun out and put it right back in. They weren't acting at all as if there was any danger whatsoever. So, But check out that video and get a chance to just do a search on YouTube. Dylan, Dylan Roof arrest, Dylan Roof apprehended. So this, this happens. It's always used. I should say it's always used by those who want to limit our, our individual rights, particularly the right to keep and bear arms. Any events used to to do that. Uh, this is always done, again, because they want more control over us. There's only a few places, really. There's only a few countries that have uh, this freedom that, that we enjoy in the United States. I do believe the right to keep and bear arms is and uh, an inalienable right. Uh, it's a God-given right. If you don't believe in God, it's a natural right because you're human. You have the right to self-defense. And we know that's the case. I don't want, I'm not going to drill down to all those numbers. If you've done the research, okay. if you don't believe the talking points that are pumped out by the mainstream corporate media and their agenda, you'll know that in the United States, we have a tremendous amount of guns, colossal amount of firearms. I'd say upwards of 100 million 100 million firearms. When you think about the number of firearms we have and the actual number of firearms deaths, deaths, it is it's, it's tiny. It's tiny. The last time I looked, the FBI numbers I think if for last year, I don't know if it was 2014 or 2013, it was about th- around 3,000 deaths from firearms. Then when you factor out suicides, it's even lower. So there is there is no problem with uh, gun violence in the United States. However, I'd have to qualify that. There is a problem with gun violence in areas like Chicago and New York and New Jersey where they have draconian strict gun control laws because gun control laws, all they do is hurt law-abiding people who obey them. If you didn't get the memo, people that don't obey the law that are going to use a gun to commit a crime, a law is not going to stop them from getting gun illegally and using it illegally. I know that sounds... That sounds radical, but that that is the case. We could look at, at at the stats again. I won't drill down to detail. Look at John Lott. You do some research. Do a startpage.com search. Uh, I'm not going to say the other guy. I don't like the people that use the big search engine. You use startpage.com or DuckDuckGo. Look up John Lott, more guns, less crime. John Lott, L-O-T-T, more guns, less crime. It's been proven time and time again when a when a state will liberalize their gun laws, when they allow people to have guns, to carry guns in particular. Crime goes down in Florida one year after they went to conceal carry, homicide went down 25%. And a lot of those numbers, as time goes on, any state that has concealed carry, over time, as more people carry concealed, crime will, will go down. Yeah, it's, it, it's a lock. It's proven because obviously criminals don't want to potentially victimize or attempt to victimize someone who may be carrying concealed. But I didn't want to talk about gun rights. So I was going to talk about the Confederate flag and what happened. After after this occurred, and again, people like uh, Moms the Man, uh, what is it, Moms Moms the Man Mind Control, uh, over uh, Moms the Man Mind Control for more gun control. Uh, I think that's the name of it. Former Mayor Bloomberg's group keeps on putting millions and millions of dollars. They will seek, as I said, to uh, exploit any tragedy involving uh, 
deaths by firearms. And their their agenda again is always to restrict all of our liberties. It's not it's not liberalized gun laws. If let's say one person in that church had been carrying concealed, I think it ends very differently. And that's happened more than once. It's happened more than once. But the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about those stories that happen really all the time, where guns empower lives, guns save lives. The object again should not be criminalized. Just like in New Jersey, for example, they make hollow points criminal. When hollow points, it's, it's a much safer way to shoot because if if you shoot into an object, okay, with regular ball ammo, you can penetrate, you shoot wrong, and then keep on going. The hollow point is going to be stopped. Most of the force is going to be absorbed the first object that hits. But again, gun laws, there's no such thing as common sense gun laws. Okay? There's no such thing. There's no reason to disarm us when uh, a tiny amount of people will abuse those rights. Same thing with free speech, which is really where I'm going with this. Really, it's about, a lot of it's about free speech. So, Dylan Roof uh, allegedly commits this crime. And then part of the weirdness is some photos get rolled out. They roll out some photos. And one of the questions no one seemed to ask was if this guy was a loner. And that's normally the profile of the people they use. It's normally people that are under some, normally, normally, not in every case, but in most of these cases with mass shootings, people that have been drugged up severely. They've been on some serious psychotropic drugs, and uh, they don't talk about that as a matter of public policy. They want to go after, they want to go after the firearms. But these photos get unveiled, and no one asks, well, if he was a loner, who was taking these photos? They They weren't all, they weren't selfies, it was, you know, the camera was too far away. That's a very valid question. Again, I'm not going to go in that direction tonight. But that is a valid question, again, because they create this persona that here you have this young man who was, you know, a rabid white supremacist, a rabid, rabid racist. His crime was motivated by racism. And part of, part of the narrative they want to sell is you see him with the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag, and again, this goes back. The crime was committed on June seventeenth, and then shortly thereafter, I'm sure you've seen in the media, then there was a movement immediately in South Carolina. Governor Nikki Haley said she wanted to remove the Confederate flag. I don't even think it was technically on state property, or the state didn't didn't operate that flag. But then that that's seen as a that's seen as a positive thing to to remove the Confederate flag to get rid of it because you have that one image of Dylan Roof who allegedly killed those black people. He's with Confederate flag in at least one photo. Therefore, the problem is the Confederate flag. Or, as I said, the problem's also in the inanimate object of the guns. Problems, <laughs> the problem's not with people being able to defend themselves. Obviously, you have any gun-free zone, as has as has been the case now in the Chattanooga shooting in the military recruiting office. Uh, the government says those in the military there, obviously who've been trained with firearms, can't carry. So what happens? You have a victim disarmament zone. Any gun-free zone is a victim disarmament zone. So the narrative unfolds. Dylan Roof, again, fits the profile of a lot of these shooters, uh, he certainly looks crazed. Uh, don't know if they proved yet he was on psychotropic drugs. Uh, I, th- I think it would appear so. I'm not sure 100% if that's come out. And these pictures, those pictures came out, and then the political machine started to come out to uh, to demonize the Confederate flag. Now I could say a lot about history. I'll get into some history tonight. But the thing to remember, the broad one of my broad points tonight is this. If you go down this path, okay, and let's say, and I'm, I'm going to try, I will get into some history of what they tell us was a civil war, really the war between the states, uh, or I'd say the war of Northern Aggression, we'll get, we'll, 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 we will get into some of that history. But let's just say, right now for argument's sake, the Confederate flag was 100% racist. Let's say it was, it was proven, there was no debate as far as the history, that it was a symbol of racism. It was uh, it was just like having a Nazi flag. Let's say that's the way you viewed it. 
So what happens if you take the position then because that flag uh, represents an idea or that that flag represents uh, represents something that is uh, largely rejected by people that isn't popular that uh, does not help you <laughs> in society uh, that's almost universally condemned uh, if you take if you go down that path to say well because because that image because that flag an inanimate object because it is hurtful then it should be banned where where does it stop what's the agenda and as you've seen I'm sure in the mainstream corporate news you've seen there's been movements now to uh, take down to demolish or remove uh, monuments to Confederate war heroes Confederate generals and others Confederate soldiers because the supposition the idea the thought is well that was that's a relic of the racist past and uh, we know better now where the implications were enlightened now we know better so we should just admit that was all wrong and and uh, do away with it. So this is really a matter of historical revisionism. People want to rewrite history. But getting back, for argument's sake, let, let's say let's say it was Confederate flag was a symbol of racism. I, I will make the case shortly. It was it was not at all. But let's say it was. Where then does it stop? You then demolish every vestige of any Confederate general, any con, any Confederate soldier who died because allegedly it's tied to racism uh, there's for example uh, a museum in uh, Harrisburg Pennsylvania uh, it's a Civil War Museum do you get rid of that because that teaches people about the Civil War and even though it's taught like it is in our textbooks uh, teaches an ordinary view that could be harmful to people to know that in their community that there's a, a museum that tells people about the Civil War. Could be hurt. Could be considered as hurtful. Uh, then you go back to the pre-Civil War era, pre uh, the era before in our in our nation's history. You go back before the war between the states, which I would argue was the war of northern aggression. I'll explain that shortly. Uh, where does it end? Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, I think he was about the age of 33, uh, not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but blessed with an incredible mind. He pens the Declaration of Independence. And some people don't know, uh, Jefferson wanted to, he really wanted to abolish slavery. Back then, the founding of the nation, there was a consensus, so they didn't. Uh, they talked about that. Uh, they talked about that early in the nation's history. And when they wrote the Constitution, which, of course, the Constitution replaced the Articles of Confederation. Another another debate, another issue we won't get, we will not address tonight. We'll talk a little bit about the Constitution, but not how, not how the Constitution replaced the Articles of Confederation. Beginning back to Jefferson, okay, Jefferson, Jefferson himself wanted to abolish slavery. Didn't happen legally. He kept slaves. He had some slaves. Don't know how many. Didn't look into it, but he did have some. So... Are we now going to demonize Thomas Jefferson? Uh, should we should we remove or demolish the Jefferson Memorial, or make it uh, make it a multi change the entire meaning of it, make it a multicultural multicultural uh, exhibit or monument in Washington D.C.? Where does it end? Uh, that'll that's the case. Where does it end? So a lot of what I'm saying is this in a nutshell. I identify. Uh, classical liberalism. Okay, classical liberal. Classical liberalism was Thomas Jefferson. Uh, classical liberalism, liberalism maintained that we should have the freedom of speech, freedom of expression, free, free exchange and communication of ideas. But there would be restriction upon our actions. Restriction upon our actions. All right. Now, what we're dealing with today is political correctness, which is really cultural Marxism. I've talked about that before in the show. I'll revisit that again tonight. And uh, the philosophy behind political correctness and cultural Marxism is that uh, 
they want to destroy the existing current social order. So we talked about current liberalism. They use the word liberal rather loosely, and conservatives use that, even though they're statists. They believe in the power of the state to solve almost all problems. But the point is, you have now advocates that I would call neoliberals who are really uh, cultural Marxist agents of cultural Marxism. And what is cultural Marxism? Traditional Marxism, again, portended, had this idea that there was a battle between the classes. There was class conflict. So Karl Marx says there's going to be this battle between uh, uh, between the proletariat, the working class, and the bourgeoisie, those who owned property, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So he saw, he viewed everything in terms of class conflict. And uh, he, he said in order for the the, uh, the proletariat, the working class, to uh, to gain the upper hand, uh, they had to abolish the proletariat. And uh, he, he was kind. He said it didn't have to, but that could be uh, kicked off by a violent revolution. And eventually there would be a, a peaceful class of society. And of course, that never happens. Uh, you see in the beginning of Communist Cuba with uh, Che Guevara and Fidel Castro, lots of people died, never got that class of society. Uh, the former Soviet Union Bolshevik Revolution 1917, uh, millions of people died, never uh, never got to that beautiful, classless society in conflict. So the cultural Marxists have a different spin. Instead of interpreting everything through class, which they still believe in some, now, of course, this is less factories. There's, uh, you know, there's class distinctions are somewhat <laughs> rather different. Uh, but they want to basically say, the current social order has to has to. We need a new social order. Okay, and that's what they want. You could see some people would talk about re-education, which now even the government, our United States government, frighteningly, frighteningly enough, uh, it's very scary. They talk about re-education of people, and this is what happens. I mean, at, at a small level, for example, if if uh, you know something happens on campus, and then you say, oh, well, uh, that student or some students. Were uh, were then judged guilty of uh, either racial insensitivity, and then they tie that with the homosexual agenda, which should be, in my mind, very offensive to blacks because homosexuality is a learned behavior, right? It's not innate. You're guilty of that, and then part of the punishment that's inflicted by the powers that be is you have to be reeducated. You have to be reeducated. In the Soviet Union, you saw that. I mean, in labor camps, and then you know people. You know, the state could, of course, kill you if you. You believe the state is the ultimate authority. And this is really this is this is what we're moving towards in our country, where the state is the ultimate arbiter of what is moral, uh, what's right, what you can and can't say. So, the cultural Marxists want to destroy the current existing social order. So, in order to do that, they want to perpetuate animosity and then provoke violence between uh, between people, and particularly based upon our differences. That's why. The Jesse Jacksons and the Al Sharptons will always harp upon race because they want to aggravate. They want aggravating differences, and 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 the mere fact that it also suggests that when we talk about race, uh, when we talk about uh, differences between men and women, it shouldn't be done in such a way that there's a winner or a loser. That one that uh, something's good for men. Oh no no, we need a women are making you know, X dollars less than men. That's wrong. Well, no, no. If you believe in the nuclear family and you believe women should stay at home and you believe that raising children is a full-time job, that's, that's, that's not a bad thing. There's, there's that disequality if you want to strengthen the family. So every time you hear about those stories and statistics, remember the agenda is to create animosity because they want to destroy the existing social order. And this is key in terms of race. Because tomorrow when we wake up, black people will still be black. White people will still be white. And God created us different. I, one of my seminary professors was fond of saying, there's only one race, the human race. But uh, there's distinctions among people. But when we talk about groups and then and say, okay, well, yeah, you have you have X number, X number of blacks then uh, going to college. Yeah. What's the percentage of blacks? Uh, yeah compared to whites than uh, in certain corporate positions. You go down that path again, it's very destructive because what the government has done in 
instead of basically realizing, going back to classical liberalism, liberalism, that we have a rights as individuals. And that's really a beautiful and simple concept, right? We have a rights as individuals. We don't have a rights because of a racial identity. We have a rights because of, you know, so-called sexual preference. And again, I'm being politically correct myself. You don't have your rights uh, if you choose as an individual to do something that the Bible would, would say is against nature. Okay, you, you still have rights as an individual. Okay, that's not going to give you special rights. But we get into this idea, and a lot of this, again, started with the Civil War, post-Civil War, where you have, you basically create minority rights. We all lose as individuals. Okay, Now, why would I say we all lose as individuals? Because the individual loses his identity and loses his rights because of the greater good of the collective, even when you break it down to certain groups. Uh, a classic example, and that's something I shared with Pudgy before, is when you look at Jesse Jackson, what happened when when he was exposed that uh, he had gotten a woman on the staff pregnant. Okay. Uh, the so-called black community really gave her no help and pretty much wanted to completely undermine her and they shunned her. Why? Okay. Now you see, he took advantage of her. All right. He took advantage of her, and by any common moral standard, it was not only immoral because he was married, and then he had relations with her. Okay. The Bible calls that adultery. But beyond that, it was also wrong because the power position. She was one of his employees. But when you get into this very destructive idea of group rights and cultural Marxism, the black community pounced on her because it hurt Jesse Jackson's reputation. So therefore, for the collective group to advance her individual rights and the rights for a child were negligible. And that's, uh, that's dangerous, and that, that's, uh, that's where we're at. That's where we're heading as, as a society. When we, when we buy into this concept of minority rights, we all lose as individuals because we do have our rights as individuals. And uh, once we basically grant minority rights, the individual rights go out the window. We see that, and this is really what we're living through, especially in terms of uh, homosexual marriage. We'll get into that too. It's all tied together. So when we look at, when we look at U.S. history, uh, I, I break down to three categories. We talk about how, how do we get to this place where our rights as individuals, where, where they've really been, they've been so diminished that they, they, they've really been eviscerated. I break down U.S. history in three, into uh, three segments or three, three, three series of events that got us to where we're at. One was war between the states or the war of northern aggression. And that's because the states voluntarily joined themselves to one another. So there was nothing that said any state could leave. Okay. That was a radical revision by Lincoln to then violate the Constitution to attack the southern states to say they couldn't leave. And, oh, it did not kick off over slavery if you didn't get the memo. It was about, really, the southern states being uh, being taxed severely. <laughs> That's why they wanted to leave. Uh, so you had the war between the states. Then you had the progressor in the early 20th century. Uh, again, not a difference between Democrats and Republicans. Teddy Roosevelt was a Republican. Woodrow Wilson was a Democrat. They were both progressives. When Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Teddy, basically Woodrow Wilson got elected because Teddy Roosevelt didn't like the Republican nom nominee at the time. I believe it may have been Taft. And uh, he started the Progressive Party. So once again, most of the major issues are not between left and right, between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, it's between progressives or the statists, those who want to use the state to diminish and destroy individual liberties and those who are classical liberals who believe in individual liberties. So we had the progressive era, and that's when we saw governments getting involved in a lot of areas, particularly education, particularly education. Uh, the idea that the states should have what free, quote, free public education, end quote. That's directly out of the Communist Manifesto. Yeah, that's from Karl Marx. So that's when that kicked off. A lot of other areas, too. That's when we got, uh, we got state state licensed doctors while that started. Then post World War II, the third era I'd say would be the national security state. After World War II, the United States never really stopped fighting the war. And that might not seem to make sense to you, but look at it from this perspective. All the bases 
that the U.S. had established during World War II, um, virtually none of them ever closed down. The U.S. stayed there. So then, based upon the Constitution, there really wasn't much of a standing army. Okay, there was a loophole in the Constitution where you could say they, uh, for two years after after war was declared, Congress had the power to declare war. Then there was a there was authorization to pay off debts for two years. But you had a standing navy, but the idea of a standing army uh, wasn't there. But you had that loophole for two years. After World War II, they passed the National Security Act. That's when we got a permanent Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's when the Depart- that's when uh, Department of War became permanent as the Department of Defense. The Secretary of War became permanent as Secretary of Defense. That's when they started the CIA. Early 50s, they started the NSA. National Security Agency was a military op. Still has to be run by law, by either a general or an admiral. So the infrastructure of the United States then changed in a very bad way after World War II because the U.S. honestly never stopped fighting that war. So we've had perpetual war since World War II. And part of what we're living through is when you have perpetual war, Abroad, you get a police stay at home. This is where we're going. But those are the three eras I break this down before we get into the Confederate flag. We had that war between the states. We had the progressive era in the early 20th century, uh, highlighted by Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson, when state government, particularly the federal government, took on uh, incredible amounts of, of power, did things that had never been done before. And then we got the national security state post-World War II. We'll take a break now and we come back. Uh, we will talk about the Confederate flag, the history of the Civil War, and uh, why it is important to understand we should not be making images illegal. We should not hinder free speech, but we should be concerned about actions. That's where, be, that's where there should be some restrictions for the so-called common good. How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism. Nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government. 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow-point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, People die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey. The Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. K-I-R-P We're talking about individual rights. We're talking about our civil liberties. We're talking about the Confederate flag. We're talking about making images and speech illegal. That's what we're talking about tonight. If you'd like to call in, that number again is 619-638-8559. 619-638-8559. Civil War. Okay. Uh, even the name 
even the name is misleading. Okay. It wasn't control over the government. It wasn't for control. Tariffs had been passed, uh, huge tariffs that affected the South disproportionately compared to the North, and then some certain states wanted to check out of the Union. Uh, you read the Constitution, again, the original intent of the Constitution. It's very clear. You had a voluntary association of states that came together, and they formed a federal government, which some people could call a central government, and the idea was there'd be certain areas for the benefit of all the states to cooperate at that level. It was There's nothing in the Constitution that said once you joined the Union, you could never leave, period. Uh, through prior to the war between the states, certain other states uh, had threatened to do so different times. Massachusetts and others didn't happen, but they had come close. But when you read the Constitution again, you go back to to understand uh, the Federal Constitution. It's not a long document to read. Check it out. You go to Article 1, Section 8. You have what's called the Enumerated Powers of Congress. So this dictates is that this makes it very clear the areas in which Congress would have oversight, the federal government would have oversight. And you had those three branches again. You had Congress, uh, you had federal courts, including the Supreme Court, and you had the, the executive branch of presidency. Of the three in the original ten, Congress was the most powerful because they spent the money and they made the laws. Uh, people, for example, today, uh, conservatives, neoconservatives, I should say, that they'll say they're upset about this or that, about uh, a district federal court making a ruling. And... Uh, well, Congress could get rid of those district federal courts. They get they get rid of them, but but they don't. <laughs> they do not. So there's nothing in the Constitution that said a state could never leave. So what the states were doing, it wasn't a civil war in the purest sense. Of what that meant, because the southern states didn't say, well, we want to go to Washington and burn it down and completely change it. They just said, no. We our time. If this is the way the union is going to go, uh, you know we're going to check out, and uh, you know we hope you're well. You, know, you guys do well with your tariffs and stuff. Uh, we, we we don't need at this point. It's not to our advantage to stay in the union. It, it was really that simple. Now, when I when I make that argument about about the Constitution, there's as I've already said, the one way to prove it negatively is you say you read the Constitution. And the states come come together and never says anything about a state could never leave. And think about the absurdity of that for a moment. The states formed the federal union. Okay, the, the, the federal the federal government did not form the states. The states existed long before the okay, case colonies. The states existed before the federal government was formed. Again, the first the nation was birthed with the Declaration of Independence, then they had the Arles Confederation. The Arles Confederation was then replaced by a second compact, the current Constitution. The states formed it. There's nothing that said they could leave. But to, to make that more clear, okay, to make it more clear, here's, here's another angle if, if you're not persuaded with that, just because it doesn't... Uh, there's no assumed powers in the Constitution. They talked about elastic powers. Um, they weren't there. It was a voluntary association of states. And the reason we had the Bill of Rights is that the anti-federalists, the, those who were very, very suspicious about granting the federal government, the new federal government, the Constitution, more power than had existed under the Articles of Confederation. Okay, there's the Federalist Papers that argued for the adoption of the Constitution, and then there's the anti-federalists that said, uh, no, and sh it should be changed. But the Constitution would have never been ratified unless the Bill of Rights was ratified. There was the promise that the Bill of Rights would be ratified. What was the Bill of Rights again? You look at those first ten amendments. They all talk about individual liberties. and makes it abundantly clear that their philosophy, again, which I subscribe to, is we have inalienable rights. Rights come from God. Uh, the state doesn't give us those rights. If the state does, then you ultimately get death camps. And that's part of the reason now why we have abortion on demand 
because we let the government dictate who could live and who could die. That's 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 the truth. He talked about the 2012 NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, basically said anyone, uh, any one of us can disappear or be executed without due process. No court, no court, uh, no day in court, no trial. Based upon secret evidence, if the state says we're a threat, we could disappear forever or be killed. This is this where we're heading away from individual rights. Getting back to the original intent, Bill of Rights made it clear there were individual liberties. So the Anti-Federalists petitioned. They said, we want to make sure that the federal government isn't going to infringe in these areas. And people like Alexander Hamilton, the strong Federalist, says, there's nothing to worry about. If it's not there, it can't happen. And the Anti-Federalists responded, we want to be very clear that these are areas that can never be touched by the federal government. So the idea, even when we talk about Second Amendment rights, it's somewhat misleading if you think your right, your natural right to self-defense comes from the Second Amendment. Based upon the original intent of the Constitution, if the Bill of Rights, all ten were repealed, nothing should change based upon the original intent. Of course it would, because you know they pervert the plain meaning. But the reality is they were negative affirmations. That's what I'm getting at. They were negative affirmations. It didn't grant anyone any rights. It basically just confirmed that rights could not be infringed upon by the federal government. And those rights, the, the federal government only had a certain sphere, they had a certain area where they could have, where they could do things. That was it. Apart from that, all of the rights belonged to the states or the individuals. Okay, you should read, read in the Ninth Amendment, the enumeration in this Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny and disparage others retained by the people. The people. Tenth Amendment, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So. The so-called civil war, really war between the states, so the war of northern aggression is over. And, yeah, they, they amended the Constitution. But it's interesting, if you study a little history, what happened in states like North Carolina that, that had uh, that wanted to secede, that wanted to leave the Union, that tried to? And what happened? Their constitutions were changed. In North Carolina, for example, at gunpoint, North Carolina had to had to basically add this to the Constitution. This exists still under Section 4 of the current Constitution of North Carolina that was revised in 1972. Section 4, secession prohibited. This state shall ever remain a member of the American Union. The people thereof are part of the American nation. There is no right on the part of this state to secede, and all attempts from whatever source or upon whatever pretext to dissolve this union or to serve this nation shall be resisted with the whole power of the state. Now, to back up with that, this is my point as far as the law, the highest law of the land of the Constitution. If there was anything, anything in the federal Constitution that said a voluntary association of states meant that the state, a state can never leave, they would not have had to change, at gunpoint, the state constitution of North Carolina, and as they did in the other states after the war was over. They would never have done that. The reason they did that in the southern states, the states that were part of the Confederacy, is because they knew there was nothing in the federal constitution. Now, had they changed, they could have adopted Lincoln and the radical Republicans. They could have adopted the position to change the federal constitution. But if they did that, that would have been a tacit admission that the war was completely illegal and immoral. And of course it was. But to gain cover... They did, it. they did it at the state level. They made those states change their constitutions, literally, at gunpoint. And in North, the North Carolina Constitution, it's very entertaining because the North Carolina Constitution says the state, uh, the state could abolish the current constitution. But, but it's interesting. It says, and all attempts, uh, and all attempts from whatever source or upon whatever pretext to dissolve this union or to sever this nation. Uh, again, going back to how there's been historical revision concerning the war between the states. The Confederates, the Confederate states never sought to dissolve the Union. They just wanted to leave it. <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't want to dissolve it. They just wanted to leave it. But this is what happens. This goes back to that second era I said in U.S. history, the Progressive Era. Once they got their hands 
on education once states adopted that Marxist position, which is a contradiction in terms of free public education. It's not free. Uh, and it's, it's really, in a sense, it's not public. It's government. Once they got government schools, they decide what history is written. And that's why uh, they continue, if you're following the Common Core debate, they continue to want more and more centralized control over the curriculum because it's not just facts. They're not satisfied with just teaching us facts from a certain point of view. They want to control the narrative. They want to control how we interpret facts. But to park on, on, on this Confederate flag again and who Lincoln was and, and what really occurred at, at back in the day, I'm going to quote part of an article, some parts of an article by Chuck Baldwin. You could find Chuck Baldwin's... Uh, He's got a couple of websites. I read his stuff normally at newswithviews.com, newswithviews.com. So who's Chuck Baldwin? Who, who am I going to quote? Uh, he's a uh, he's a Christian pastor. For many years, he was in fundamental, independent fundamental Baptist circles, and uh, he ran for president as a Constitution Party candidate in 2004. He had been involved in in uh, the uh, so-called moral majority. And over time, he saw, did some study, and he saw that uh, a lot of the organizations that existed, and more majority in particular, it had either, it really had degenerated to just push the Republican Party. And of course, people would vote like that. You know, a lot of people will get scared either on the so-called left or right, where they'll vote for someone they really don't agree with. But it, it's, they're always manipulated, saying, well, uh, it's, it's at least better than the other person. And this is where we're at, because we don't we don't vote on conviction. Of course, two parties that they basically they doctor the system, they they uh, they mess the system so that it's very difficult to get ballot access. Here in North Carolina, for example, the only party that even has ballot access, apart from Democrats or Republicans, is the Libertarian Party, and Libertarian the Libertarians as a party have largely been co-opted. So when we talk about Libertarians again, remember there's a philosophy of Libertarian, in other words, viewing viewing your uh, political reality from the perspective of classical liberalism, of individual liberty. And some libertarians, they talk about the non-aggression principle. When can government, when should government use aggression? And that would only be to protect someone else's uh, individual liberty or life. But libertarian party is largely co-opted. But even the Constitution Party doesn't have ballot access in North Carolina. And again, the two, the two parties, the duopoly, they love that. That they love the fact to limit our choices, because even if you're independent, and at this point, unless the Republican Party changes uh, in North Carolina, there'll be more independents in this state. I'd say within a decade or so, uh, they still got you because uh, they have the ballot access. So you still got to vote in some of those. I mean, what are your options then? Very hard to get elected as uh, as an independent. Can happen, but it's hard. So getting back to getting back to Baldwin's piece. He wrote this piece called The Confederate Flag Needs to Be Raised, Not Lowered, on July 9th. And what he did, he went through part of the history uh, behind the roots, really, how the war between the states erupted and how, really, there's been this massive historical revisionism uh, over Lincoln, in particular, and, and also the war. The big point, I've said this already, is that when the war between the states started, uh, even from the Northern perspective, it had nothing to do with abolishing slavery. It was to keep the Union together. Yes, it was to keep the Union together. And then two years into the war, uh, Lincoln gave his Emancipation Proclamation, which incidentally didn't free any slaves, uh, didn't free any slaves in the North, and they couldn't control the South. But he gave his Emancipation Proclamation because it was a new, it was a new marketing attempt because there was an abolitionist movement. And then he said, well, now... Basically, the North, it was uh, at best, it was a stalemate. If not, the North, the North was losing somewhat. So then they tried to present the war to the American people from a different perspective. So it wasn't then uh, to keep the Union together. People, yeah, uh, many people had died. So the new, the new reason for to suppress, to tell the Southern states they couldn't leave, it was, uh, it was the alleged moral high ground to combat slavery. Now, when when you take the position again that it was about slavery, one of the first things to disprove that, one of the easiest things to disprove that, is that Lincoln himself was a rabid racist. Okay, Abraham Lincoln himself was a rabid racist. 
it's it's very clear. But again, we the people that have written the books, the people that. that K R R P. K R R P. Oh, technical issues. Technical issues. I don't know why it dropped, but I am back on the KRP radio show. Uh, what I was saying before I was disconnected is that Abraham Lincoln was a racist. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was a racist. A lot of people, there's a lot of stuff we were not taught in schools uh, about, about Lincoln's point of views. To quote Lincoln, this is from a DiLorenzo piece. You can look up Thomas DiLorenzo's uh, commentaries on lewrockwell.com, L-E-W-R-C-K-W-E-L-L.com. Thomas DiLorenzo had written a couple of books on Lincoln, like the real Lincoln. Quote from Abraham Lincoln, free them slaves and make them politically and socially equals. My own feelings will not admit of them. Uh, what, another quote from Lincoln, what I would most desire, Abraham Lincoln also declared, would be the separation of the white and black races. And I have no purpose to introduce political and social equality between the white and black races. I am in favor of the race to which I belong, having the superior position. Another quote by Honest Abe, I am not, nor ever have been in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, nor qualifying them to hold political office, nor intermarry with white people. Okay. Uh, Lincoln-Douglas debate. Senator Douglas remarked that this government was made for white people and not for Negroes. Why, in point of mere fact, I think so, too. Uh, another thing they don't teach us in school is that before the war between the states, as well as after the war between the states, Lincoln wanted to recolonize Africa, really Liberia. Yeah, the U.S. was involved in Liberia with black people. That were, that were in the United States. And so after the war, when they were emancipated, when blacks were emancipated, then he wanted to recolonize them. That, that's what he did. Uh, as a young man, he was manager of the Illinois Colonization Society, which used tax dollars to deport, to deport the small number of free blacks who reside in Illinois. As president, he allocated millions of dollars to a project that would colonize American blacks in Liberia. In 1862, he held a meeting with several dozen free black men in the White House, at which he explained to them that because of the inherent differences between the white and black races, they could never live together. And so he urged them to lead by example and colonize themselves in Liberia. Uh, another direct quote from Lincoln, you and we are different races. We have between us broader differences than exist between almost any two races. This physical difference is a great disadvantage to us both and affords a reason, at least, why we should be separated. It's better for us both, therefore, to be separate. And that was Abraham Lincoln, address on colonization to a committee of colored men, August 14, 1862. Uh, Lincoln supported the Illinois Constitution that prohibited the immigration of black people into the state, and also supported the Illinois Black Codes that stripped a small number of free blacks in the state from any semblance of citizenship. Uh, again, to quote Lincoln, I have said that the separation of the races is the only perfect preventive of amalgamation of the races. Such separation must be effective by colonization, or if it is morally right and favorable to our interest, uh, to transfer the African to his native clime or climate. Now, DiLorenzo had an interesting point at the end of the article, and he said, uh, like all presidential museums, just talking about Lincoln's museum in Illinois, the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois, should be thought of as the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Cover-Up Library Museum. It may well provide accurate information about Abe's childhood, his family history, his eating habits, shoe size, hats that he wore, etc., etc., but when it comes to the big important issues, is the vote spreading untruths about American history while sweeping much of real history under the rug. And that is the case. You see it today in discourse in in our presidential politics and debates as the U.S. president has been transformed to a dictator post-Lincoln. Again, it's only gotten worse 
with the progressive era and after World War II. Uh, you'll have these presidential debates, and they'll ask them questions like, you know, who's, uh, do you prefer uh, Johnny, do you want, would you rather listen to Johnny Cash or the Beatles? I mean, things like that, that, that you know, we really need to know if you're going to, if you're going to be present. Those things are really, really valuable. But I had mentioned Chuck Baldwin and about what had happened, what happened in the beginning of what was known as the Civil War, the war between the states of war and northern aggression. Maryland uh, wanted to join the Confederate States. Okay. And that's when Honest Abe then suspended habeas corpus. Habeas corpus, Latin phrase found in the Constitution, meaning you have the body. And it basically meant if the state was going to arrest you, it had to say why. You had you had to basically you had to appear in court. He suspended that when Maryland was right in the process before they could join the Confederates. And then uh, it spread. Habeas corpus had spread. Thousands, thousands had been arrested uh, when Lincoln had suspended habeas corpus. In the North, I mean, there were newspaper editors that knew, again, people knew the Constitution. Uh, they knew there was no validity to what Lincoln was doing. Congress, of course, hadn't declared war. It was illegal according to the Constitution, and those newspapers were shut down. Uh, that's what happened. That's why Lincoln really did act as a as a tyrant. Lincoln didn't save the Union. Uh, he subjugated it. Again, it was a free and voluntary association of states. The states formed the Union. Our first compact was the Articles of Confederation. Our second was the current Constitution. There's never anything that said a state could leave. That's why after the war was over, at gunpoint, North Carolina had to adopt a provision saying that North Carolina can never secede. They could have changed the federal constitution, but that would have been a tacit admission that the war was completely illegal. Uh, when Lincoln again made the Emancipation Proclamation, they flipped the script and went from a war to keep the Union together for for a war to abolish slavery. Uh, it didn't it didn't free a single slave because he's talking about the South where uh, that they didn't control. Another interesting thing when it's depicted that everyone in the South then who was fighting, they were all racist and everyone in the North uh, was anti-slavery. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. To quote Chuck Baldwin's piece, one of those Northern slaveholders was General and later U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant. U.S. Grant. In fact, he maintained possession of his slaves even after the war between the states concluded. Recall that his counterpart, Confederate General Robert E. Lee, freed his slaves before hostilities between North and South ever broke out. When asked why this was Grant refused to free his slaves, Grant said, good help is hard to, hard to find these days. And instituted slavery didn't end until the 13th, was, 13th, 13th Amendment was ratified, December 6, 1865. Uh, Lincoln had proposed his own 13th Amendment beforehand, okay, and this is what it said. Something else they never taught me in school. No amendment shall be made to the Constitution which will authorize or give Congress the power to abolish or interfere within any state with the domestic institutions thereof, including that a person's held to labor or service by laws of said state. And to quote Chuck Baldwin, you read it right. Lincoln proposed an amendment to the U.S. Constitution preserving the institution of slavery. That was written in March 1861, a month before the shots were fired at Fort Sumter, South Carolina. The reason Lincoln did that, he was attempting to placate the South, knowing because of the tariffs they were attempting to leave. He thought if he made that, if he made that, then if you put that into the Constitution, they wouldn't have left. Uh, it was all about the tariffs. There was tariffs that were enacted in 1828 and 1832. South Carolina called that the tariff of abominations. <laughs> And they said it wasn't it wasn't constitutional. Uh, the problem was that Lincoln wanted the Southern states to pay the Union 40% tariff on their exports. The South considered this outrageous and refused to pay. By the time hostilities broke out in 1861, the South was paying up to and perhaps exceeding 70% of the nation's taxes. <laughs> that's uh, that's how the Civil War, so-called Civil War, broke out. The other thing that's interesting about 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 the fact that civil war wasn't civil war again. The Souths weren't weren't attempting the South Southern states, Confederate states, were not attempting 
to abolish the Union. They were merely attempting to leave. When you think about how it started in the beginning, okay, in, in the very in the very beginning, uh, there was a battle. There was a battle in Virginia, and in that in that battle in Virginia, the Southern states could have gained. They could have gained control of D.C. Okay. They could, but they didn't want to. Uh, they didn't. They didn't want to do it. Uh, they didn't want to take over Washington D.C. They could have done it in the beginning, but it was never about their control again. They simply wanted to leave what they thought, based upon uh, the clear intent of the Constitution, was a voluntary association of free states. That's all. They they they, they did want to leave. Uh, it wasn't about slavery, though some, of course, did have slaves, and uh, that had been tabled, that had existed from the time the Union was formed, that had existed. To quote, to quote Chuck Baldwin, had the South wanted to take over Washington, D.C., they could have done so with the very first battle of the Civil War. When Lincoln ordered federal troops to invade Virginia in the first battle of Manassas, called the first battle of Bull Run, by the North, Confederate troops sent the Yankees running for their lives all the way back to Washington. Had the Confederates pursued them, they could have easily taken the city of Washington, D.C., seized Abraham Lincoln, and perhaps ended the war before it really began. But General Beauregard and the others had no intention of fighting an aggressive war against the North. They merely wanted to defend the South against the aggression of the North. And furthermore, uh, because they just they couldn't conceive that Lincoln and and uh, the radical Republicans would have ever done the things they eventually did to win the war uh, towards the end. The North did things that were barbaric, things that the Brits didn't even do to the colonists during the War of U.S. Independence. They burnt farms. They uh, they burnt farms to destroy the food supply. You know that was considered barbarism, and a lot of that was done by foreign mercenaries that were hired by the North. But it still happened against something. They don't teach you in school. Something else they don't teach you in school about the war between the states. Not only did blacks riot against the whites of the South, many black men volunteered to fight, along, fight alongside their white friends and neighbors in the Confederate Army. Unlike the blacks in the North, who were conscripted by Lincoln, okay, they were forced to fight, and, forced to, and they were also forced to fight in segregated units, thousands of blacks in the South fought of their own free will in a fully integrated Southern Army. Uh, something, uh, something I was never taught again. So, the northern, northern blacks were conscripted. Okay, they were drafted, and they formed segregated units. The blacks that formed the South fought voluntarily, side by side with the whites. Uh, but the Confederate flag is racist. Okay, another great point. If uh, if you go down this path, which is destructive of cultural Marxism, and you want to control. You want to control images. You want to you want to control speech. If you're going to ban a flag, uh, it would be the Union Jack, because then at the time, ships bearing the Union Jack shipped over five million African slaves to countries all over the world, including the colonies in North America. So, uh, which flag would say would have been historically associated with uh, with slavery? Uh, the Union Jack, which had had uh, promulgated the slave trade, which was then abolished in the states in 1808 per the U.S. Constitution. Slave trade was already gone. Uh, we have to avoid this tendency again. We have to avoid uh, believing that if we ban certain, uh, if we ban an object or, or speech, that it's better for those who are allegedly hurt by that. It's not we all lose. Okay, we all lose understand what the agenda is understand what the agenda is it's the same thing in relation with homosexual marriage okay it's very similar the, the whole push for homosexual marriage isn't about equality okay it isn't about equality if it was they would not want state permission or license to get married they would take a libertarian position which i take and just say the state should be out of the business of marriage in montana for example you don't need a state license to marry. You don't need state permission. And Christians, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, Christians in particular should realize God created the family before civil government. He never let, he never entrusted civil government with the right 
uh, any jurisdiction, any control over marriage. So, so we lose when we interject the state into marriage. But the agenda, again, and this is, this is political correctness, and this is cultural Marxism. The agenda is not equality, marriage equality, hardly. The agenda is to basically destroy traditional marriage. California under, under Governor Jerry Brown had passed a law, and they have banned the words husband and wife from state law. That, that, is, that is what they did. They banned them. Uh, this is a Fox News piece I could play. And look at this one. This has got some people scratching their heads this morning. I now declare you spouse and spouse. Two dozen Democrats now pushing to eliminate the terms husband and wife from federal law. Lawmakers say the so-called gendered terms should be replaced by more neutral words like spouse or married couple. Well, this comes after the Supreme Court ruled that all states must issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Right. That was about a federal law that California had passed. That That is law now in California that you can't have the words husband or wife because it's seen as hurtful to the homosexuals. Okay. This is the talking about the abolition of traditional marriage and traditional family. Make no mistake about it. And that Fox News piece then said certain Democrats are now pushing it. They want to get that in federal law. So, again, if you go down this path, if you go down this path of wanting to ban speech, and this is this is really it's thought control. If you want if you want to make the state uh, police our thoughts, uh, it's very destructive. We we know we know where it's going. Again, uh, it's not about equality. Never has been. So be real careful uh, about about your history. Be real careful about anyone that wants to limit our speech and. Also note those who do not want, who not only want to limit speech, but then also want completely free expression of uh, of actions. In New York City, for example, they had a completely ludicrous law that says because men could be in public topless, then women could cause equality. That that's perverse, because obviously God made our bodies different. So understand the difference between uh, what what really happened, what happened in history what the agenda is now, where they want to push us. They want us they want us at each other's throats. They want us divided into subgroups. They want us fighting one another because as that happens, we don't deal with the real issues of the economy. We don't deal with the real issues of of unending war. We don't deal with the real issues that all of our rights are being eviscerated by the state, which gains power all the time. If you want to read more about these these matters especially uh especially about the uh the agenda uh, of uh, homosexual marriage, really, and the family. I've got some of those articles posted at paradishift.net, my site, P-A-R-A-D, shift, S-H-I-F-T, dot net. Again, I want to thank Pudgy for this opportunity, and it has been my pleasure. Please uh, tune in next week. He has a special, special show planned. Uh, uh, take care. K-I-R-P Radio!